everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right. This week is a guest that I have been trying to get on here for years. It finally, finally happened. We're talking to Corinne Drury, lead singer of, of course, Swing Out Sister. Now, in the States, they are primarily known for this one hit, Breakout. Anytime, I mean, it still sounds like exotic spy music, glory, you know, uh, expensive travel, like the French Riviera or uh, European airports or whatever, all these like exotic, sexy, cool locales and things. That's what you think of when you think of breakout. And, uh, and a lot of their stuff is that way, unless you're paying deeper attention. They've been making music all along and some of it, yes, it, well, it's always uniquely swing out sister. It goes into house music, it goes into dance, jazz, uh, R&B sometimes, smooth lounge music, but it's always uniquely them. It's Corinne and it's Andy Connell. I hope it's Connell, maybe it's Connell. I've always said Connell. Sorry if I got that wrong. Anyway, they recently put out a box set called Blue Mood, Breakout and Beyond, The Early Years Part One. And it's the first three albums remastered and then more discs of like remix, remixes and B-sides and stuff like that. Anyway, I got to give a huge, huge thank you to our our listener, David German and, and Gary Saber for making this happen. I have been trying to get Corinne on here for years and they helped me do it. Thank you guys very much for doing that. Anyway, we get into the whole history of the band, their relationship, the ups and downs. I am a deep, I have all of their albums. And so I kind of was asking about some of the deeper tracks that I really like, that I think paint a picture of everything they do and do really well. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this. They are the best. Corinne is so wonderful. And she called me from her home in London. Okay, first and foremost, I have, this is this is kind of an odd question, but um, as someone who follows you guys, I, it feels like for the last year or two, um, several times on social media, you guys will post a picture of you swimming or in a swimming costume. <laughs> and I say a swimming costume on purpose because it's not, you're not posting, you know, sexy pictures in a swimsuit. It's looks like you're just out for a swim. And I thought, is she... Is she a big swimmer? Is this a big part of her life? What's the story behind the swimming pictures? Well, I love swimming and I think it's a way to keep fit and enjoy it. It's exercise that you can actually enjoy, but it's also very good for a lung workout. So it's good for singers. And so oh. it's kind of a bit of inspiration for me, inspiration for others who are looking to keep fit. But also that shock of diving i like to swim outdoors i don't particularly love indoor pools because mm. they have too much chlorine so if i can find an outdoor pool yeah i love to just splash into it um i mean i'm probably a bit of a fair weather swimmer i'm trying to swim throughout the winter but uh i think the cold doesn't do me much good i get cramped yeah. and stuff i've got a wetsuit but i think i might just have to give the deep midwinter of miss and uh -huh. get back to it i can go to outdoor there's a couple of outdoor pools that are slightly heated that i know but uh -huh. I'm, there's a reservoir nearby there are ponds on hempstead heath i've swum in salford keys in manchester yeah. and i was starting to do a lido tour of england i think that's why the selfies came in because it's like here i am in plymouth here uh -huh. i am in um 
I can't remember, but I got to about 15. But there are many Lidos. A lot of them we had lost. Um, huh. They were closed down because I think when overseas travel became more accessible to the masses, then the Lidos, which were really meant to be like city beaches, okay. started to close down. But some of them are actually fabulous architecturally. The, a lot of them were built in the 30s in the sort of between the wars to give people access to sunlight and exercise in the city. Yeah. So they were they were kind of functional, but then it was kind of a way of having a holiday when you couldn't afford sure. a holiday. But sure. I think since the lockdown and since a lot of people maybe didn't want to travel so much for ecological reasons, there's been a big um, resurgence in wild water swimming, in open air lido swimming and it's and it's so good for you it, it yeah. kind of makes you tingle and feel yes good. so i think i was trying to share a bit of my love nice. of outdoor swimming good i was a swimmer back in the day too and and i still love it i'm never happier than when i'm just in the water whether that's the ocean or a swimming pool um this is probably a really dumb question but i'm gonna ask it anyway i live in the rocky mountain area of the united states and there's a lot of hot springs around this area you know colorado idaho utah montana do you have anything like that natural hot springs in in the uk there's not is there there are actually but I oh think we we tend not to the victorians were very keen on that taking to the waters the thermal waters but i think we sort of they went out of favor and it was considered a little bit sort of uh freaky for people to uh, be wanting to dip in open air okay. springs for health reasons but sure there were places like bath spa harrogate mm. spa matlock mm -hmm. spa and there are some thermal springs and this was tapped and made into sort of health resorts in victorian times but i think people sort of thought oh it's easier to take a tablet and no. go, go and bathe in, in the hot springs. But um, there are a lot of countries that still use their springs. Like in Europe, we were in um, Slovakia a few years ago, and I noticed there are lots of them there, and they're just open to the public. It's not special yeah. shishi bars. They're just, it's what people go and do. In Italy, yeah. there are quite a lot of them. And so I think it would be nice if they came back. I think the spa and bath, because it's a Roman bath, the Romans hmm. built that originally. I think it took a bit of uh, renovation because it, it was a list of buildings. So that, that's another of the problems, keeping them clean and making sure they're yeah. treated with respect. But uh, yeah. yeah, going through Matlock huh. on New Year's Eve once, I noticed there was snow all around. This is in the hills of Derbyshire, at the Rocky Mountains of England. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, and there was steam coming off the river yeah. and all the little inlets and outlets of the river and you yeah. just think we don't really tap into this so do people go swimming in in the rockies in this in the springs a lot uh yeah a lot of them do there's in fact where i am in uh in denver a few couple hours away there are several um, natural hot springs glenwood springs is one um, that i like to go to now these are more commercial you it's like a it's like a big swim swimming hole swimming pool there's there are large pools where people just sit and relax but then there's also like slides and hot tubs and deck chairs to lay out and get a tan in so it's not free there are some you can hike to you know i'm from utah originally and you can hike to some that are way out there and just if you if there's not already a bunch of people there 
but mm-hmm. some of them cost a lot of money. You know, just like it's like you said, like a spa, you pay fifty bucks and you have a whole day to just lay around yeah. in the warm water. I mean, I know that they have to; they cost money to maintain. But I don't really want all the fancy things. Mm-hmm. I just want to swim and yeah. maybe warm off afterwards in the sunshine. Yeah. I kind of think. I suppose that's a way of attracting more people, but then you have to provide yeah. things for them to do. But I, I think real swimmers, they just want to take to the waters and feel that's good. And yeah, you that's don't it. really need all those other things. If you no. need some entertainment, you can read a book. That's <laughs> it. Exactly. Agreed. Okay. So we should talk about the box set. That was one of the motivators for this finally happening is uh, Blue Mood, Breakout, and Beyond, The Early Years, Part 1. Now, with a name like that, it automatically implies there might be a part two. Is that uh, in on the docket? Well, that's what we were hoping. I mean, I think Universal, they just had all these masters sitting in their archives and said, do you want to put out a box set? And we said, why not? Well, first of all, I said, why would we want to do that? <laughs> people who have those records already have them. Uh-huh. And, you know is there really any call for that? And they said, oh, you'd be surprised, you know. And and they got together things that were scattered everywhere. And then Mm -hmm. I suddenly realized, actually, I don't possess half of these recordings myself. So Mm. one great reason for having a box set is for us to get all of our recordings together. And um, I think some of the things like the remixes, maybe they were a bit too much all in one go. But I think for somebody who really wants to collect those things, it would save them a bob or two because True. I think you can get them online because they're quite rare but mm-hmm. you know it was nice to just to have everything together and yes yeah. we call it part one because we enjoyed putting it together so much there isn't anything that is previously unavailable but quite mm. a lot of it is rare I mean yeah super fans will have everything but some people mm-hmm. who just might have some of the things that are keen to find more yeah it's all in one place but um I think if we put some more things together, we'll maybe be able to find some things that that are rarities or that are unavailable in certain places. So we'll yeah we'll get more stuff together. Yeah, I um I have uh, well I have pretty much every album, but um, I have hard copies already of those first three albums. But like you said, all the remixes and the B sides and stuff that are usually that's kind of that kind of stuff is usually just scattered everywhere on singles yeah. or you know and uh, to have it all in one place. If you are a deep fan, you would it, the convenience of having it all right there. I I was curious too. A box that makes sense if it's possible are some of the Japan only albums that came slightly yeah. after this. I would like to find some of those things, but I think it just depends if um, if we can license everything to one place. I think yeah. that's thing. if people are uh, prepared to give up their rights yeah. to to license it for release, and um, you know, it takes a bit a bit of rounding up. I think the early records they all were, were recorded for one record company, but then as things got uh-huh. a bit more scattered, I think it. But I think it would be great to put the Japanese things together on on an album because there are some things that people haven't heard before. Yeah, yeah. I had a question about that. I Obviously, being huge in Japan is a big part of the Swing Out Sister story. Um, my understanding, not being in Japanese, is that now you're not here is 
one of your songs that we used as the theme song to a show in Japan. Is that right? Yeah, it was a, a TV serial, and um, it was used as the theme tune. And I can't remember what the translation is in Japanese, but uh, we just thought we would would write a song and see if it fitted, and it worked. And we were lucky. Oh, so you wrote the song for the show? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know if they plucked it from you or if. That's what created your fandom over there, or if they were you were already so big, that's why they asked you to do it. No, we were already doing okay in Japan. That's probably why uh -huh. they asked us. But yeah, we were asked. We were, it, it was commissioned. We we made it to measure, and uh, we had a great time making it. We recorded it and finished writing it in Japan. We were awarded a Japanese Grand Prix award, which was that's right. their equivalent to a Grammy for that. It, on the domestic side because normally you would only get that as an international artist but i think that song did so well in the domestic charts we were welcome with open arms but i think we, we had already done pretty well in japan and and they were happy to have us there yeah what how what do you affix this fandom to i've read in other articles where i think it was you uh mentioned that um, the Japanese like to collect things and they like to have like one of everything. If it's uh, every color, every version, whatever. And, and so you, them hooking on to you is like a, is a real treasure trove because then they want every swing out sister album, hard copies in, you know what I mean? What, is that what it is? How did this even happen? Oh, well, I think they like sex, I think. <laughs> they like sex? Is that what you said? No, 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 not sex. Oh, <laughs> I thought you said sex. And I, the full I thought, sex. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they probably do. They I, probably do. I, I mean, most people do. On behalf of the whole nation. <laughs> you know, how did we all get here? Yeah, no, right. No, I wasn't being quite that raunchy. No, they, they like <laughs> <laughs> they like a set of things, uh -huh. and uh, they even have a lunch um, called a bento set. Sure, you know the bento box set, and I uh -huh. think it, everything comes in a complete set. Yeah, and I think uh, it, so. It, it helps if if they they want one of everything, then that's yeah. great. But um, okay. I think uh, we 
we just kind of arrived in Japan at the right time and there yeah. was a bit of a British explosion and I, I think we had a, a mutual appreciation. You know, we loved it there. They loved us being there. We wanted to know all about Japan and they were happy to show us. So yeah. we, we had a great time. When you're, uh, as I was, we were emailing about this and I, I mentioned that I, I find the transitions in people's careers really interesting because there's a moment where you guys aren't big and then breakout breaks out and everyone's big. And now my perspective is uniquely is specifically from the States where you're considered one of the famous one hit wonders, even though the albums continue. Are you, are there lean times for swing out sister where the Japan fandom is sort of keeping everything afloat or because that would be the perspective from a, from an American or is it just an augment to success that's happening in other places? Um, well, I suppose you can't be in all places at once, mm. even though you can in this day of the internet and the digital age, but uh, the time we set out, I think there was, you know, a huge explosion in England and then Europe and then America and and then we went to the Far East. And I think uh, everything fed each other. That was the whole MTV time. But I, I think um, even looking at the Beatles, you know, they, they, they had about three or four years. You think they were everywhere all the time, but it was something yeah. like 64 to 67. And then they split and went their separate ways. Yeah. So I think for three years, it was full on pretty much everywhere. And then it was where we chose to focus, you know, mm. and uh, I think in Japan, they are always prepared to take a risk when things were backing off a bit in other places. And we noticed actually in the record shops, people like Herbie Hancock and Marvin Gaye and all these people who had had Miles Davis, great careers, also had done a lot of things specifically for Japan. And I think it's because the Japanese listeners are very loyal. And like I was saying, mm. they're like a full set. Mm -hmm. Not what set. you thought I said. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, I think, you know, they, they want to see the complete picture. And yeah. I, I think they are... They still want to listen, even if you're not in people's faces all the yeah. time. And yeah. I think maybe some of the other countries are a bit more fickle, and that may be. They want the huge success and the stardom, and then they want to see you fall and fail. I think yeah. that's pretty much. We have dips and hollows, and then huge ascents in mm -hmm. the rest of the the Western world. But I, I, I don't know. I'm sure it must be like that in Japan as well. Huh maybe with their own domestic artists, but I, yeah. I kind of think maybe because we were on a bit of a jazzy tip as well. And that, that has a kind of, it's a bit more of a leveler. Yeah. True. Good point. Um, okay. You, you've talked, you've talked about breakout a million times. I don't want to have to make you drudge it too, up too much. What I am shocked about, which I only learned recently, maybe I should have always known this is that you basically recorded your vocals in 24 hours that you had 24 hours and it, something like that right it reminds me of omd and them doing if you leave and they have 24 hours to write record a song for the pretty and pink soundtrack and that song becomes 
the gift that keeps on giving that still pays all their bills. And uh, so this 24 hour period of, you know, genius changes the rest of your life forever. Well, I wouldn't say it was quite like that. I think I tend to think about things for a long time. Andy had already done the music. Martin had done the rhythm track. You know, that there had been a demo around for some time, and it was probably my fault because I was still thinking up something or getting worried about this has got to be the best ever thing. And so I, I was the one who was tentative about putting down a vocal and Andy and Martin were in other bands at the time so they just left me with a cassette tape with the backing track on there and um, you know suddenly I get a call from the A&R department of Phonogram Records who had put out our first single Blue Mood which was like an underground club hit I don't think it was ever really pushed for anything more than that um, oh if you don't get us the tape by first thing on Monday morning then you are you know, well, in 24 hours' time, then you drop because yeah, yeah. we need it for the A&R meeting. They've been waiting. And I'm like, oh, no. And this is before mobile phones, before internet. So I couldn't find the guys. They were off. I think Andy was in Amsterdam with a certain ratio. Martin had been playing in another band. I didn't know where they were. I couldn't get hold of them. So to my best abilities, the recording technology that was available at the time, I had a a handheld recording Walkman and a cassette player. So I just played the music and sang into the Walkman onto another cassette. And I only had one cassette. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> and so I just had to get it right. And I I sort of was singing along and then my housemate said, can you be quiet? It's <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. I've got to get up for work tomorrow. And I'm thinking, there's a bike coming around to collect this cassette for the 10 o'clock A&R meeting, so I got a hurry. So I actually recorded it in about 20 minutes when I woke <laughs> up, but I had to stay awake all night and keep singing because uh -huh. I didn't waste the cassette that I had by recording the ideas. <laughs> it was very primitive times, but yeah. I just kept singing it over and over in my head to remember it. So as soon as I heard my housemate get up in the morning to go to work, then I could make a right. right again as she described I, th I don't think she she was being rude i think she just needs to <laughs> so i i i it's it's an, a slightly insensitive question but i have to ask i mean does could you live off breakout money because i feel like that song gets used for you know hotel commercials and uh and and uh cruise anytime anyone is globe trotting around the world they play breakout to fit the mood <laughs> um, oh well maybe we should find out about some of these things but it feels that way anyway. <laughs> it feels that way anyway i'm glad people equate this with the luxurious lifestyle because it certainly came from very humble beginnings uh -huh. i was in a squat with no heating it was freezing <laughs> when i was singing that song and yes. and i actually got the very record player with the cassette player stolen as soon as we went off to do our first oh. top of the pops i think somebody must have been watching out and <laughs> and and we got burgled so it's kind of it started from very humble beginnings and i think if you can tell by the words it's exuberant because it was trying uh -huh. to escape yeah you know break out from the doldrums yeah and uh i think it it's great but yes it does serve as well and i People say, do you ever get sick of singing that song? I go, no, because it's opened so many doors for us. Yeah. And yes, it does provide us with something. I don't think we could live off that entirely, but um, I okay. think it 
it serves as well. And yeah. but we, it also opens people's ears to our extensive songbook. And I think, yeah, that's the one that invites people in. That's the yes. one that, that most people recognize if they're just casual listeners. But I think people who followed us throughout our career yeah. know that we, we've got a lot of different styles and totally. a, a lot more, um, you know, not yeah. quite such exuberant songs. We've got a moody side and a jazzy side. Very. But I think the elements are all there. And that that really, it was our kind of calling card. Uh-huh. That's it. Um, I, it was for me, that was, you know, obviously as an American, that was ground zero. And then from there, I've just been collecting ever since. I think my favorite Swing Out Sister album is probably Get In Touch With Yourself. And a lot of that has to do with um, Am I The Same Girl? Which I just still think is one of the most exuberant, beautiful, exciting songs ever, whether that's yours or a cover. I just think what you did with it is miraculous. What can you tell me about the recording or the creation of that song? Well, I love that song because it's a bit of a Northern Soul floor filler. And I don't know uh -huh. if you know about Northern Soul. In the northwest of England, um, I think people used to buy imports even from around the time of the Beatles, I'm mentioning them again, because they one of our great British sure. musical exports that kind uh -huh. of kicked a lot of stuff off. But um, I think the boats used to come into Liverpool and warehouses in America had tons of old R&B music, not just R&B, but all kinds of stuff sure. that probably they just used to empty the warehouses of and weigh the ships down to bring it back. You know, mm -hmm. somebody said they used them as ballast for ships, but I, boy. I think stuff that Americans didn't want, we had never heard in America, yeah. not just records, all kinds of stuff. So you were sending it over to your poor English cousins. <laughs> uh -huh. and, um, and people really, especially in the Northwest, because I think that's, where these imports first appeared um, really went through them and then this sound Northern Soul evolved and it was a particular kind of Motown-esque and a lot of it was the Motown musicians who were moonlighting. I'm going off onto a bit, maybe this is all a bit long-winded. No, 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 love, this is great. I love Northern Soul and I love the dancing that went with it and that whole scene and Barbara Acklin's version of Am I the Same Girl was huge. Uh, on that northern soul scene but i think the vocal version was 
relatively unheard of in America yeah. because the Young Hulk Unlimited instrumental version was the one yeah. that had been a hit in America. I think this one was discarded. They didn't really like this version. Um, and so we just thought it's an old favourite. And we were thinking, wouldn't it be great to write a song like that? And then we thought, well, why don't we just record it? Because uh-huh. it's already there and it's so good and it's so exuberant and it, it fills us with joy. And It uh, really does. It really does. Um, one thing I've noticed, I've never been able to see you live, obviously, and, and I have more questions about that uh, in a minute, but on the live albums that you've put out, something is very clear, which is that you don't feel a need or a responsibility to, re- to redo songs the way you did them originally. You guys spread out, open up. Um, it sometimes they're jazzier, sometimes they're dancier. This is true for a lot of your stuff. Is that if you were to if if I was to come see you live somewhere, would I? Is every song just made up on the spot? Is it, are they all pre ordained, pre decided on? How do you come to these conclusions? I think that's a good question for Andy. I mean, sometimes he changes the song arrangements so much I can't even recognize uh, them when I start right. singing the wrong song. Right. But I mean, it stops us from getting sick of them because you know, very true we kind of rearrange and reinvent the songs and it's also a way of getting the band involved we say somebody will come up with an idea here and an idea there and it's their contribution to the live side of the music mm. and also it keeps us on our toes because we think oh no this we've changed this bit here and, and sometimes that will evolve throughout a tour but we usually start with attempting to sing the song in the initial way and then after a few days rehearsal it sort of winds off because i think Mm -hmm. it's our own natural curiosity and consequently people who come to our show they kind of expect a little diversion here and there and and that's another interesting thing it's a bit like doing a quiz because people oh i love that bit of a weather report you throw in there or it's a little (laughs) bit of junior walker and and right where was that? I, I didn't even know that's where that came from. You know, right. there's little things woven in. So it, yeah. I think it keeps everybody on their toes and keeps Definitely. people interested. Definitely. I hope what, what is the, now I, I should say we have Patreon supporters and I always tell them who I'm interviewing and if they want to submit questions, they can. Um, a couple of people sent in some one in particular was ben handley and he wanted to ask specifically around touring what is the touring situation with swing out sister how often do you do it do you where do you do it why do you do it how long do you do it you know well i think we usually wait until we have itchy feet and we really feel the urge i don't think we do anything for the sake of it and that includes putting out records which mm-hmm. you know we, it could take us 10 months it could take us 10 years but yeah. uh, i think we have to wait until there's something there to offer i don't think we just want to be repeating ourselves all the time it's like we will repeat ourselves because we are who we are and the sure. inspiration is within us so you know something is going to have to set us off in a slightly different direction to make us think, yeah, now we've got something a bit different to offer. And I think uh, touring, we were all set to tour before the pandemic, actually. And 
we had a whole year's worth of stuff worked out there and and the arrangements we even did something quite different we put the arrangements almost back to square one and we were trying mm -hmm. to keep the songs to how our initial first tour was with a lot of the same band mm. members but then a global pandemic came along oh uh, yeah <laughs> and a lot of things have changed since then yes. and i think we got our fingers burned and to get that much we were really uh, at the peak and about to go it was a week before we were about to set off that that mm -hmm. all kicked off we did actually put some of the rehearsals with that online and said who knows what's going to happen now we're just putting these rehearsals up that was in uh, march 2020 mm. because we right, don't really know down. when we're going to be able to do this again yeah i mean we didn't see each other our band members for yeah we still haven't all been together in the same room since then but you know it was a good few months before we could even move around within the city or sure. the country so sure I don't know. I, I yeah. kind of think it's it's kind of like you wind up a clockwork time. You're all ready to go, and then it's like, oh, yeah. how are we going to get that back again? I, yes. I think we don't like to do the same thing twice. But it mm. was we were just on the verge of going, so I, I'm not quite sure. That's too bad. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier. Um, so Ian Sharp is one of our listeners, and he um, sent in. He was curious too. How? Well, he also was talking about sort of the complex and very sophisticated live sound was and when i listen back to your albums not only do they sound like you know worldly and globetrotting and exotic they also sometimes sound expensive and i think it can't be easy to recreate this sound live because it would take a bunch of people and that would have to that would be really expensive so was the idea he wants to know specifically was the original concept for swing out sister more of like a studio outfit that just made things in the studio and touring became a byproduct later or had you already planned always planned that out um i don't think we really thought about it well actually i thought about it because i was a novice andy and martin who was in the band at the time I think they had been schlepping around in the back of vans and toured live so much, they probably had enough of live performance. I only <clears> got into the band because I thought we're going to go on tour and go on a tour yeah. bus around America. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was really looking forward to that. But I think we were working with a producer, Paul O'Duffy, who was very keen to experiment in the studio. And I think the studio part of the recording and the experimentation we we kind of wrote a lot of the arrangements and stuff in the studio as we went along and didn't really think about the consequences except for me going are we going to be able to afford an orchestra when we go on tour yeah. oh we'll think about that when we get to it yeah right. but if we have a hit record and we need to go on tour we're not going to be able to have all of these people on yeah we won't have a hit record don't worry about it <laughs> i think the idea was to put everything all the exuberance and everything we could muster yeah. into the recordings and think about the consequences later but funnily enough one of the first gigs we did we did have an orchestra and a a band that consisted of some members of level 42 i was just gonna i'm looking at the video right now i'm it's right here i was just gonna ask you about that
first live performances we ever did. And I've been saying to Annie, we better go on tour, we better go on tour, because you've all been in a band before. I haven't really. I've been in a band at college and done some small uh -huh. gigs, but I was going, I don't want to have a hit record and then have to go and sing live, and I've never done a gig before. And uh, I said, don't worry, we won't have a hit record. This is the stop line. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Sure enough. Oh, Breakout's doing really well in the charts. I don't know where to go on. And I, I think it was probably, um, you know, a few songs down the line because Forever Blue was there. So, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Do you want to do a Princess Trust concert? Uh, the conductor of the orchestra is George Martin. Goodness. <laughs> Members of Level 42 and various other people in the house band. And it's going to be in front of thousands of people, including. Yeah. Charles and Diana, who are the sponsors of the concert, and it's going to go out live all over TV. And I'm like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> so I look a bit nervous. That's why. <laughs> well, you don't. You look great, but it feels. I'm watching the video, thinking this has to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, show they've ever performed. Is that the biggest crowd you ever? saying in front of because it's not that you look nervous but it does look so large the moment looks so large for a band that has a large sound but a, a but it's at its core more intimate like yeah. swing out sister we've done a few big concerts in in various places and a few festivals in front of huge crowds but um i think it was because I had never done anything in front of a crowd that size before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, we we did after that event, but uh, I think before that we'd just done a few gigs with a small lineup yeah. in very small theatres around the UK. I don't think yeah. we'd even done anything outside the UK then. Probably not. So okay. it was a little bit nerve-wracking, to say the least. I bet, I bet. <laughs> and I didn't Speaking have of a thing to wear. I had to borrow my friend's coat. I'm like... <gasps> Oh, that big red, the red, like, dress suit you're wearing was borrowed? It was borrowed from my friend Joe. I was going, you know that red coat of yours? It would kind of make a big statement, and I love the way it spins around. It's yeah. It's like a circular skirt. So I was like, can I just borrow your coat? Because I, I need to feel <laughs> dressed up, you know. Of course. My family are going to be there. I can't just rock up in my pajamas. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, speaking of orchestration, I want to ask you about one of another one of my favorite Swing Out Sister songs. Um, Touch Me Now off of Somewhere Deep in, in the Night album.
again is very orchestrated and maybe i'm maybe i'm asking uh, for insider secrets but when i hear an orchestra on a swing out sister album is it an orchestra is it studio trickery that andy's really good at on key no keyboards oh she's giving me a look like mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it, well it's a combination of things usually but there there is a lot of clever use of technology but also combined with live yeah so you you can give the effect of a much fuller sound but it may be a combination of things uh -huh. that's something you have to ask andy i can't give away okay i don't know if i want all the full details because some of the mystery is nice you know but Andy and Paul have worked hard, at, uh, especially on that album. That was something produced by Paul in our studio, and we went off all over the place. Some of some of it was recorded in France, up a mountain, and we uh -huh. we kind of combined all sorts of ideas. But um, you know, I, th I think we pulled all resources for that one. It was okay. very much a voyage of self-discovery and a labour of love, and it took us quite a long time. But I think we we kind of reached heights we hadn't reached before, yeah. literally, because some yeah. of that was conceived at the top of. It wasn't quite at the top of Mont Blanc, but it was up a mountain. Really, <laughs> it was. It was, a, it was. I can't remember how many feet, but it was. Um, it was near the peak of Mont Blanc. We. We were kind of got a lot of those ideas on a skiing trip. Oh wow! And, uh, some of it was terrifying, and I could think you can hear the fear in some of. The <laughs> Paul, Paul, who produced the album, um, he well along with Andy. I mean, I think we wrote a lot of that together. So the production and the writing all kind of merged together because uh, yeah, we just we spent a lot of time together just working out the ideas on that, but. Um, he was an extremely good skier, and we mm. tried to keep up with him. And oh. um, I'm not a very good skier, but I, I managed <laughs> to keep up with him and shared some of the terror uh -huh. and suspense. But um, I think it. We need a film to go with that album. It's a yeah. soundtrack to. It uh, sure is. So many of your albums sound like the the long lost soundtracks to spy movies or you know murder on the french riviera or something like that you know james bond kind of stuff another conversely another one of my favorite songs of yours is when morning comes off of the filth and dreams album Which is more dancey. There's some mm. 
deeper house and dance beats going on on that. Do you, when you guys dip in and out of dance music, you always do it so effectively while also maintaining your exotic jazzy feel, R&B feel. Um, do you remember anything about the recording of that song or even that album? Because it is more of a stretch. There's more dance beats going on. I think we were going for a, a kind of more intimate sound with that. And uh, we were looking a lot for, to Brazil for inspiration. Ah, beats yes. And, uh, you know, a bit more of a Latin sound, especially Brazilian and mm. a kind of closeness that Brazilian music has. I think, you know, if we've incorporated any dance beats, we kind of want to incorporate lots of other beats as well because Capricalia and Bossa Nova too too much stripped down dance music I don't think that's our thing it's like mm. you've got to have lots of beats to mm. choose from and I Good think point. We, were, we were playing around with a kind of dusty husky Brazilian sound listening to people like Ellis Regina and Joyce and Azimuth and you know, a, a kind of a Milton Nascimento. We we were we were really absorbed in the Brazilian sound, and actually, not well. A few years after that, we did go to Brazil and did a concert, and it, it was lovely to actually go and feel the place we were kind of channeling to make that mm -hmm. album. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, okay, I have one more deep track to ask you about, if it's okay. Um, I've always also really liked "Out There" off of the Beautiful Mess album. you know yeah well i i've been paying attention to swing out sister for a very long time um mm -hmm. <laughs> this is uh i like this song too because it's sort of trancy and vibey and um mm -hmm. sort of i don't know out there it's not psychedelics the wrong word but like spacey i guess what do you remember anything about the recording of that song well i do because that one we originally recorded in french have you ever heard that, that one no, I have not. Uh, Les Etrangers was okay. um, some songs we did for a, a television series that didn't really happen. So we kind of had done lots of ideas mm -hmm. for this pilot of the program and we had great fun doing it. But that one was a variation of one of the songs we did for a nightclub scene in the 
Uh, <laughs> and so we just developed that and it became out there but I think it was it was just meant to be dreamy and yeah um, that's it you know some of those ideas I think were done in our little studio in Manchester uh, you know just in the house I, I think it's interesting how the songs would kind of reflect different surroundings and yeah. places you're going or things yeah. that you're going through in your life but um, yeah yeah it was just meant to be dreamy and reflective but okay why'd you pick that one i love that one yeah yeah there's all kinds um i want to ask about the living return album because that was a very different album at the time for you especially um some of it i don't know how you feel about it the co the common response usually is that some of it works, some of it doesn't. The album is like almost an hour and fifteen minutes long. It feels very stretched out. It feels like a band that doesn't get the chance to jam, showing the world this is what we can do. We are a real band with real players who like to stretch out and open up. Was that kind of the thinking behind that album? Because it's an, you know, this it's an, an anomaly in your canon compared to everything else. Yeah, well, it came off the back of us having recorded one of our earlier tours, and that became live at the Jazz Cafe album. Yeah, yeah it, it was the recording of we, we were playing at the Jazz Cafe at the end of a tour and the songs had developed and were arranged in such a way we thought we should capture this because they're never going to be this way again. Yeah, good point. And we had such fun listening back to that. We go, well, now we've got the band together for the tour. We'll probably be doing another one soon. Why don't we rehearse the songs that we are writing for this next album and have them ready for the tour mm -hmm. but record them as we go so we kind of approached that in quite a different way we learned the songs and and performed them more as a live band yeah yes i mean it did have some production and we were with a different producer then ray hayden um but i think they they were performed as if we were rehearsing for a tour so <laughs> you know we had to get an album's worth of songs completed, which is not easy for us. We're usually writing as we go. We did a lot yeah. of that with Paul O'Duffy and, and he afforded us a lot of experimentation time because he's happy to do that as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was curious. It's um, 
when when you look back on it do you are you proud of that album do you think it was the right album at the time do you care one way or the other well i like them all but i think when we finish one album that's kind of it's a it feels like we you know you've had a long labor and you've produced uh, this great baby and mm -hmm. then you just want to set it off into the world and then you get on to the next one or yeah or recover <laughs> yeah right <laughs> nurture it for a while uh -huh. and then when you're ready the next yeah. one and sometimes the next one comes sooner I, I was reading something that erica badu said about uh you know she thought she'd lost it and she didn't have any ideas for a while and then she thought she's just not ready the universe mm -hmm. isn't ready she's not yeah. ready. you're not channeling the right stuff and yeah. i think when you have the right thing to say you're ready for it. Sometimes you need a bit of a kick in the pants as well, because mm -hmm. you can be coasting along for some time, but something will trigger something. You go, right, I really like this idea. I'm going to mm -hmm. develop it now. And I, I think maybe those times get a little further apart <laughs> the older we get, because yeah. it takes a bit longer to gather all the stuff together to do. And, and we don't really want to be guilty of just churning any old stuff out and boring people. People say, oh, why don't you put something out? You haven't put anything in. It's got to, it's got to be something that gets us fired up mm -hmm. in order for other people to be fired up. So it's kind of like, well, we'll do it when we're ready. We, we have got a few little things bubbling along, but we've also got a lot of things that people have never heard that we find when you're going through, oh, my goodness, <laughs> we had all this. Why yeah. don't we do anything with it? And sometimes those things have captured something from yeah. a while ago that would take us quite a long time to get back. So yeah. it's like, let's just try and develop something with this. So I think we have a few little clusters of things that are maybe not quite finished, but we could finish them yeah. now or, you know, just sure. a few things that have captured another time. Again, not to be too forward with this question, but I'm guessing the... Uh, financial freedom that something like Breakout offers you allows you to take your time uh, and to put out work that you believe in that's quality and not something just because you need to, because you have to fill a contract or you need the royalties or whatever, right? Well, I think if I have to fulfill a contract or pay some debts, I don't really want to do it with our music. Ah. I don't want to compromise our music. I think... Well, I'll sell something else. <laughs> you know, it's like, or just tighten my belt. I kind of, yeah. I don't really feel that either Andy or myself wants to compromise yeah. anything creatively that we do for the sake of making money. And, and who knows, never say never, the time may come. But I think, yeah. you know, we'd rather just, we don't have any... Um, high-flying ideas uh -huh. we can we can kind of live within our means if we need Good. to and our means can shrink if necessary sure but sure i kind of think i wouldn't object to our music being used in a film or an advert because it's yeah. kind of a way to get it heard but i think you know we sort of have to weigh things up you yeah you just want to do things because you feel you've got something yeah you want to share with people i believe it the way you I, want to share it yeah but uh, there's some really great things come up like our publishers often get in touch say oh breakout there's a request for it to be used in this film or that film and and half the time you don't know if the film will ever get made or 
kind of what the content is, even uh-huh. though the description is usually a rough guide and then they say, oh, yeah. if there's some bad language or if there's this, do you object? Yeah. And it's like, we're usually pretty open-minded. And then a request came in a while ago and it was something like Electra completes her transition and I didn't really know what it was about. And then suddenly we had all of this mail from fans in America and messages coming in going, wow, Breakout was in the peak of uh, a series called Pose and you had oh. the top moment. And and it was like, it was a ground-making series for a start. Yeah. It was actually quite an uplifting moment where everything yeah. happens for everybody. And yeah. uh, I loved that series, but I didn't know it, what it was still because they weren't showing it in England. And then they right. showed it on the BBC, <laughs> which is great because the BBC were open to showing, you know, a whole series about voguing, about yeah. trans community and yeah. the dance music era of the time, which we were kind of part of. And, you know, and it covered a lot of very, very special issues. Yeah, and, to be included in that, to be chosen. I remember when that show came out, I, I didn't watch it, but I remember the promotional lead up to it. To be chosen, to have your song chosen to be played at a key moment on a show like that. They could have chosen anything. They could have played whatever they wanted and they picked you, you know? Yeah, I, I felt very honored that we were included in that. And, and there are lots of things you don't know at the time how it's going to be used or where it's going to be shown. Yeah. You know, so it's like you say, the song does keep on giving because it's suddenly out there again. It is. In a different place. Always. It's on Netflix or whatever, all this stuff that was never invented or conceived when we started in a a little bedroom (laughs) in a squat in North London. The song's gone quite a long way already, hasn't it? It really has. Um, I had uh, just a few more questions for you. One in particular, um, on pretty much every album, there's always a wonderful um, instrumental. Uh, One of the ones I really like is, and I've never known how to say this, Kai Piranha on Where Our Love Grows. Caparina is a cocktail, isn't it? Caparina. I don't drink, so I don't know. No, well, neither do I now. But Caparina <laughs> is the cocktail from, oh, now, where is it from? It, it's obviously Brazilian because it's yeah, yeah. the Brazilian trap, but I can't remember what's in it. It's uh, Cachessa. Okay. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but um, yeah. 
it, it just seemed to fit the mood of the song. It was, yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah, we, we have always included an instrumental from the very start. And I, I think that's comes from me saying to Andy, sounding like a stuck record again, I think this one should be an instrumental. And he's going, okay. I mean, you, you haven't thought of anything for this one. And it's like, <laughs> well, maybe not, but that's because it's such a beautiful piece of music. Yes. I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> yes. That was going to be my question. I wonder if those things are thought out as instrumentals ahead of time. I recently read a book on Simple Minds, uh, who are also one of my favorite bands. And Jim Kerr of Simple Minds does that same, th same thing, where the music is all done and he waits to the very last second to put his vocals on and write lyrics. And some of their instrumental songs from back in the day, like Themes of Creed Cities and stuff like that, uh, he, similar, listened to them and thought, this is bad, I can't improve this with my vocal or with words, let's leave it the way it is. And I wonder if you go through the same thing or if those are planned as instrumentals from the beginning. Oh no, I think all of the music is just created. And then yeah. I usually choose which of the ones that inspire me to write a song. But I think some of them are too epic to be songs. Um, yeah, yeah. And Andy always thinks I'm making up an excuse, but I kind of think, exactly, how am I going to top yeah. that? It, it's really, it's such a great thing already. I, I don't really want to spoil it, but... Um, yeah, okay. You know, it, it's, it's also, I think, comes from our love of soundtracks. Yeah. And when I first met up with Andy and Martin, he was with us at the very beginning, we were trying to find an area of music that we would all bond on so we could get something written. And it's yeah. like we didn't know each other. We just got together and thought, let's try this out, let's try that. Um, and I didn't, I'd never heard of any of the people Andy was talking about. He was into jazz and Brazilian music. I couldn't even pronounce half of the names of the people of... <laughs> He liked, and Martin was into punk. He'd been in magazine mm -hmm. um, prior to working with us. And, uh, you know, it was like I liked Motown and yeah. pop music and soul music and was open to anything, but I didn't really know what I liked. Uh -huh. <laughs> but then we discovered that we all loved the Bond theme tunes, the music of John Barry, yeah. And I loved Shirley Bassey, mm. especially the theme tunes that she did. And we loved Ennio Morricone. And so we, we kind of bonded over film music and over Bond theme section. Uh -huh. We bonded on Bond. <laughs> right. So I think we like to leave an instrumental track as a, a bit like a reprise. Or, yes, that's what it is. Uh, and they're usually in the middle of the album. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Okay. Um, I was curious, what was, I've always wondered because 86, 87 in Britain is very much that sophistipop sound that you guys were sort of a part of. There's bands like uh, Simply Red, Curiosity Killed the Cat, The Blow Monkeys, Wet, 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 Danny Wilson. There's tons of them, right? The Kane Gang. And they're all sort of mining from that same sort of Northern soul sound that you were talking about earlier. I love all of that stuff. I've had almost everybody from those bands on these, on this show, because I'm just so, I love it so much. What was going on that, that inspired everybody to sort of call from this same genre? I think 
A lot of it was to do with the fact that people had made the transition from vinyl to CD. Ah. And if you were broke like I was, you could get some fantastic vinyl in the record shops, in the charity stores, the thrift stores, as you call them over there. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, you could find all this blue note and verve and not only the fantastic music, but also the sleeve art, yeah. I think, was what we were in love with too. Blue note especially. Oh. William Claxton photograph yes. and the smoky jazz look and, you know, yes. Sade tapped yep. into all of that and I think yep. she she's another one that yeah. whole scene she was the queen of that scene I think really and she opened up people's ears and eyes but I think we were we were learning about that music as well as making it mm. and we were aspiring to be like that and and doing our own variations of what we mm -hmm. thought the sound should be to go with yeah. that look and you huh. know, we were kind of uh, maybe listening to our parents record collection or or all this stuff that was in the junk shops was so cool and you can yeah. get it for nothing yeah okay i've always wondered because that was just such a magical time i still listen to all of those bands and albums and i still love them okay i've got this could potentially be a dumb question maybe i should know this and i'm, ne I'm never completely sure are you and andy married or together or What's the status? I've never been sure, and I'm, I hope that's not too invasive. No, it's not invasive. I think maybe we can admit to it now. I think we kept it quiet for a while because we just thought, you know, that's one life. Our musical uh -huh. life is our public life, but uh -huh. our public life's not that public anymore anyway. <laughs> right. and I think most people have kind of figured it out, but um, it kind of seemed like our musical life spilled over to our right the life and and it's all become one now um but yeah and okay. i think we kind of have so many of the same interests and the same loves it's it kind of made sense <laughs> yeah okay i've never been completely sure i've always assumed but it's easy to assume that because you're a duo and you're always pictured together and you're always talking about each other's uh working with the music but i've never been 100 percent sure if they are they actually together? You don't have children or anything, right? Or do you? No, we don't. Okay. Our records are our babies. That's it. Yeah. We have lots of cats. That's right. <laughs> That'll do it. That's enough. Actually, yes. having a band, if you've ever been in a band yourself or anyone yeah. who's ever been in a band, I kind of think that's very much like having children. It's, I bet. They take a lot of yeah. care and a lot of nurturing, and it's kind of exhausting. So yeah. I think maybe that was enough for us. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, okay. Two questions real quick. Number one, do you think you'll ever tour the U S again? When was the last time you were here? And like, for instance, and you don't need to do this, but you might, maybe you get invited to do like those 80 shows a lot, you know, and come on and do your three songs and then get a paycheck and leave. Do you get those kinds of invites? Do you turn them down? We've had quite a lot of them. We get those kind of things all the time, but I'm, I'm a kind of a bit reluctant to be part of just an 80s thing because a lot more of what we did has been since the 80s. Absolutely. At the same time, I kind of think it is part of what we do. So I would say never say never, but I kind of like the way we do it. We kind of encapsulate who we are now, what we were then, and make it yeah. into 
something else. I, uh-huh. I don't really want to be stuck in the past, and I don't sure. think I can ignore the past, and I, I don't by any means dislike that time, but we have so much more to you offer. You do. So you do. I, I don't want it to be enhancing just that without the other stuff, but Good point. never say never. You know, I kind of... I like where we are right now, which is in this kind of jazzy place, and we've done yeah. jazz interpretations of our song. In fact, that's what we're working on right now, a big band um, album of our songs. They're big band arrangements um, that we've had kind of bubbling under for a while but not been quite sure how to do yeah. I wanted them all to be instrumentals. It was actually uh. my gift to Andy as a birthday present some time <laughs> ago because I, I kind of thought he's always wanted – the arrangements of the songs to come to the fore so uh-huh. I can take a back seat here and we can hear the music. But some of them have got some vocals, some of them are just the arrangements, yeah. kind of cinematic arrangements of our songs, and we're still fiddling around trying to decide how to do it. And, um, you know, it's that's something that's going on. There, okay. there are a few other things that, that we have, but it's like I won't say they're nearly there because it could be some time okay yeah i i don't i uh you guys have a very you're in an enviable position where you can kind of do what you want on your own schedule the 80s tours at least in america are just a good way to sort of remind people that you're still out there and so you come by on you know in a lost 80s show and you play your three songs to people who love you and then you come back a year or two later and you do your own thing and those people are like yes i remember how much i you know it kind of stokes that fire that was more what i was thinking not that you would plus maybe it's an easy paycheck i have no idea but yeah, it just no, seemed like I an idea say, never say never i i don't think i would outrightly say i'll never do that i think we've just had if we've had the energy and the time to put together for some live stuff it's usually been with our band and of course there's been something yeah else. go big you may uh, as well you you earned that play. but at the same time it probably would be quite fun because you wouldn't have all the responsibility of having to organize yeah <laughs> true true there is true. that but i don't know i mean i think people's way of listening to music has changed our ways of performing music has changed. i love things like these tiny desk concerts yes where you see a very intimate side of a band and they're crammed into a little room and i'm yes. like andy should we do some concerts in our kitchen <laughs> that would be a lot easier way to or even yes video. it's a lot easier way to organize a tour and you can be a lot more spontaneous and people would yeah. find out a lot more about you they just can't touch you but you know yeah. <laughs> When it was all the global lockdown and we yeah. were just thinking, are we ever going to be able to move around again? And <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of other things to take into consideration now. A few changes in the world mean it's very expensive to take a yeah. big entourage of people on the road. So uh, I kind of think maybe doing some kind of live streaming from our studio. That would be <laughs> wonderful. Travel, you know, you, you sure do, yes. It's better to travel was a kind of wishful uh-huh. prophetic title for our first album and i love the fact that we have been to so many places and met so many people i actually love going out there but at the same time i think the world at the moment it's changing so fast and yeah. there are so so many obstacles to jump through hoops to jump through now yeah you don't really want to 
put anyone at risk by taking them far I know. away either. So it's I like, know. I don't know. One time I never would think about anything like that, but now it's yeah. like, oh, just uh, let's just hold on and wait till yeah. they settle down. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, I so my dad died of COVID actually coming up on two years ago. And um, oh, so our family has been especially careful and sensitive about the whole thing. It does seem like, thank goodness, um, fewer people are at least, it's less lethal than it was before. People are, are certainly still catching it, but thanks to vaccinations and mutations, it's now you're mostly just gonna get really sick for a little while and get better. And so, um, I've been, I know I've been going to a lot of shows, whereas I wasn't there for a while. So it's, it's opening up at least here more. Yeah. You know? no, I think it's the same here. And I think people are being a bit less cautious and, and opening up a bit more, but I think it, it leaves a deep scar or that. Stuff. Yes. It, yes. Well said. When you go out, yeah. but then it suddenly hits you. Yeah. And I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. And I know of people who we have lost through COVID, yeah. quite a few people. And and you cast your mind back to how terrifying and how shocking it was when, yeah. when it first started. Because totally. it, we, had, we had just come back from Italy when they had started to close Italy down. I think oh, we were a bit too close for comfort mm -hmm. there. And we got it quite badly in the beginning. And I think yeah. that's probably... You know, we were all set to go on tour. Mm -hmm. Then everything shut down. Then we got it, and it's like, yeah, this is it's pretty terrifying because I think the scary thing about it was is how little people knew about it, and yeah. we didn't really have anyone to turn to. It's mm -hmm. like even the doctors. It's like, did they really know about it? Not really. Yeah. And so we were kind of left to our own devices. Mm -hmm to a certain extent yeah, and I think yeah. it, that was what was so scary and and it lets you know how fragile we are and the world very much if, so if things get out of hand so yeah and that's what uh, I meant really when I said putting people at risk no I know what you mean and you saying scar tissue I hadn't thought of it that way but that's perfectly said because that still exists for anyone who went through that it's kind of mm -hmm. some you know initial fear reflexive fear reflexive concern um those haven't that stuff hasn't dissipated yet um yeah. anyway let me ask you one last question first of all um thank you so much for talking with me if you can't tell i love you very 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 much and it has meant a lot to me to be able to talk with you about all of this i want to know what oh, your favorite you so much well of course of course i this was a monumental moment for me i want to know what your favorite story is when you look back over this career, which I think you're celebrating 35 years this year, right? I think so. <laughs> I think that's what it is. It's so long ago, I can't remember. Well, if I remember correctly, in 2012, you did a 25, 25th anniversary thing with like um, uh, The View. What am I? I'm suddenly forgetting the name of the album. Private View. Private View to oh, kind yeah. of... Uh, to, hmm. I was going to say Perfect View, and I knew that yeah. wasn't right. No, no, Perfect anyway. View, yeah, that... So here we are in 2022, and uh, so it must be 35. When you look back, did you meet a hero? Did you? I think you opened for Stevie Wonder one time or something like that. What is your favorite story? This girl who sang, you know, the demo to Breakout in her 
in her in her squad or whatever. What this has been a wild ride for you. What's your favorite moment? Oh, it's very difficult to pick out one particular moment. But you were just saying about people you met. One of my favorite singers is Dion Warwick, and we were yes. at Manchester Airport, Manchester, England, and uh, I noticed the person at the next passport desk. She had a headscarf on, but I recognised her cheekbone. <laughs> and I said, that looks like Dion Warwick, and he's going, "What would she be doing here? It's Manchester." Uh -huh. And I'm going, "I'm sure it's her." I've got to go and say hello, and he go, "Please don't." And he doesn't really like any of that. I just thought uh -huh. she's my favourite singer of all yeah. time. Uh -huh. So I went running over to her, and and it was Dion Warwick, very casually dressed down. She was yeah. by herself. I think her people had already gone through, and she was uh -huh. taking her time. I went, oh my goodness, you're my favourite singer. I did that real fan thing and was all gushing and she kind of stood there and I went, I'm really sorry because now you're probably with some people. Do you want me to walk you through? I said, I am actually a singer myself. I do understand, uh -huh. and, but you've been such an inspiration to me. And she said, well, who do you sing with? And I was going, our band's called Swing Out Sister. And she went, I love Swing Out Sister. <laughs> what? Yes! I don't know if she just said that to say, okay, now go, go, go. Uh -huh. It didn't seem like she was being that. I'm going, Andy, we got to give her a signed record. And so Andy came over. And yes! She was so gracious and so polite. And her people had gone, I was going, I'll walk with you if you like. But I don't think anyone recognized her because she was so yeah, yeah. dressed down. And, sure. And she was just sorting herself out. She that is great. Have all the airs and graces, but I've thought well, now I've left her in a vulnerable spot because I need to uh -huh. walk her to where she was going. But yeah. I said, no, no, I'm fine. And off she went. And she was so lovely. And I just thought, you know, sometimes you don't want to meet the people you uh -huh. love in case it's a disappointment. Oh, I know. It's happened a few times on here. Yeah. I met her on a few occasions and, and she was never a disappointment. And, and such a star, and she has been such an inspiration. To That's people. great. It's lovely. Good and for you. It's always nice when people who have inspired you actually yes. maybe have heard what you've done. Yes, yes. That's incredible. Good for you, Corinne. You deserve it. I, uh, Like I said, I love you guys a lot, and uh, I love everything you've put out in the world. I, I gobble all of it up, you know? I love it all. I love the vibe you created. I love the space you created for yourself. I love your artistry. I love it all. Thank you for being you. Well, thank you so much. And thank you. I'm particularly impressed with the choices of songs that you picked <laughs> to ask me about because that you dug a bit deeper for those oh, yeah. ones. And, and they're ones that I really like. And it's nice to know that people listen to the ones that you have spent some time on too. We did spend some time on, but it didn't really only take 24 hours. There was a lot of time went into sure. thinking about it. But it, right. it the fine you had 24 hours to get it done yeah yeah because i left everything to the last minute but you know, it, was, <laughs> it had been bubbling under for a while but uh -huh. I, I kind of think some of the other things where we tried to go to other places you've noticed yeah. that and that's yeah. great oh i remembered one more thing i want to ask you about uh, a couple of years ago purple snowflakes and little bright star uh come out as singles are they both have kind of a christmasy vibe
Are they just one-offs or are you working on some Christmas stuff? No, they were just one-offs. Uh, somebody approached us because they were putting out a Christmas album. Let a bright star. I had done some time before and I said, well, we got this one in the can. Uh-huh. Uh, that one had been done just with, with some other musicians that putting together a Christmas song idea. But the Purple Snowflake, Sandy and I did. Great. It, it was just something Christmassy came yeah. along. I, I think I, I particularly like Purple Snowflakes because it doesn't actually mention Christmas. I don't love the whole commercial side of Christmas. Mm -hmm. I love the getting together with people, yes. seeing family, the coziness and the warmth of winter. But that whole, from well, you all know from Thanksgiving and the craziness that. You're kind of all sucked into this thing, and I don't think it's fair, especially at the current economic yes. time in the world. Yeah. I kind of think it's great. Some people are calming down with the commercials and all that sort yeah. of stuff. It's putting people under a lot of pressure, and I just like the idea of Christmas for sharing some love, not I'm, I'm with a whole load of stuff that you feel obliged to buy. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, and it's day after tomorrow, as you know, because it's just the food and the family and football and uh, nothing else. No one, no pressure to go buy gifts, no pressure to do anything except cook and uh, go, maybe go over to someone you love's house and enjoy some yeah. time, you know? And I think that's, that's it. really what it should be about, you know? It's, yeah. it's a time for kind of getting together with people and just sharing some love. Um, we've got enough things. We've got yeah. enough stuff. I don't need anything more. And if I needed it, I'd buy it myself. You don't have to give That's me anything. The thing. I always say to people, you get yourself something, I'll get myself <laughs> something, and we're done. Because we kind of have all we need. There's a yeah. certain point in your life. I think for children, it's great. Yes. Yeah. I always remember parents saying things like, oh, when we were, so we used to get a tangerine and a walnut <laughs> and a farthing <laughs> in a stocking, and that was it. But then suddenly it got bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger uh -huh. and bigger. And it yep. maybe takes a world, a global economic crisis, mm -hmm. to shrink things down again. But there's something nicer about, I say, re Re-gift something you don't want or yeah. something pre-loved or let's just get together and cook. I, yeah. like, I tell you what I'm going to do because I'm having to clear some corners of my house up. I like making past the parcels of things that I don't need anymore yeah. or things I've been given and I don't use. 
and just put funny things in a pasta parcel and have one for each family and Bart. see people's faces when they open it because it's like, I gave you that. And I'll go, oh. <laughs> oh, that's great. We call those white elephants. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, I don't know why we call them that, but yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> we um the we go to Hawaii on vacation a lot, and so wow. um our Christmas gift to the kids is usually tickets to Hawaii, and that's what it's going to be this year again. So we're going to go to yeah. Hawaii in February, and that's you know then it's more of an experience, not more screens or more toys yeah. or you know we'll all go to Hawaii. Um, I love anyway. things like that. Well, my stepfather was a farmer, and he never knew what to give, give me, so he always gave me a sack of potatoes. And his son, <laughs> my brother, he carried on the tradition, and I think that's the most useful thing. You have a sack of potatoes. Yeah. It'll last you a few months. There's always something to eat throughout the yeah. whole of January. That's it. <laughs> That's all we need. Sack of potatoes. <laughs> Good one. Well, thank you again, Corinne. You're the best. Thank you for everything. All right. There you have it. Corinne Drury. Guys, I'm guessing if you know, I'm guessing most people, if you have a Swing Out Sister album, you have that first one. It's better to travel. My personal favorite is the third one. Get in touch with yourself. But the second album, Kaleidoscope World, is also fantastic. And so I wanted to play a song off of that one because we didn't talk about that album quite as much. This is You On My Mind, which was a single and a hit in Europe. But again, we Americans, we only got it right once, unfortunately. Anyway, keep going with Swing Out Sister. They're the best. And check out that box set too, by the way. And again, thank you to Gary and David for making this happen. I really, really owe you two. Thank you so much. Now, next week's guest is the seventh Stephen. And if you do the math and you remember who they all are, we've gotten through the other six. We got one left, and that's our our guest next week. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for everything. Thank you, buddy. By the way, folks, we should have – I have two book clubs in the can, and I'm recording what I think is going to be a pretty cool deep dive this week as well. So we should have bonus material like the next three weeks, maybe. It depends on Yan's schedule, but it should be coming fast and furious. You guys can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, at thehustlepod. Twitter's giving me a lot of depression lately. I might delete it or take a break or step away or whatever, but for now it's there, and you can find me on there if you want. All right? Thanks, everybody. We love you. <laughs>